It had been one of those days, a long day, lots of travel, there was lots of teaching, there were a lot of healings, and this small crowd of curious onlookers had grown to become a massive multitude of thousands. And as Jesus sat down on the hillside with his disciples and surveyed the massive crowd coming his way, he knew that they would be coming hungry and that they would be getting hungry. And he wanted to provide for their need, but there was no Schwabel's outlet or Costco in sight. But there was a little boy, and he had five little loaves of bread and two little fish. And in the hands of the Creator, they were multiplied. And they had the men sit down, 5,000 men. When you count the women and children, maybe fifteen to 20,000 people on the hillside. And Jesus kept feeding them and feeding them and feeding them. And the baskets kept giving and giving and giving. And just in case anybody was still doubtful that he was God and creator and sustainer, he made a statement by making sure there were leftovers, 12 baskets. You know, Jesus doesn't just satisfy. He overly satisfies. Well, a little bit later, Jesus decided that he wanted to remove himself away from the suffocating crowd, and he went up higher on the mountain. The disciples descended the mountainside down to the Sea of Galilee and found their lone secured boat and got into it and started going across the Sea of Galilee. Later that night, Jesus came down from the mountain and miraculously walked on the water to the boat, which at the time was caught in a storm. And Jesus calmed that storm, and the boat miraculously appeared on the other side. The next morning, the crowd woke up to a fresh Galilean morning, but they were hungry. And no one had left behind a box of miraculous bisquick or turkey bacon for breakfast. They looked around, no Jesus to be seen, no disciples to be seen. And then all of a sudden, more boats appeared from the other side of the lake because word was out about this Jesus and all that he was doing. And so more people came to see and hear and experience his miracles, but he wasn't to be found. So then they wondered to themselves, I wonder if he went back to Capernaum, his home base operations for ministry. So they all got into the boats and they sailed over. This massive crowd sailed over to Capernaum. And arriving, they found Jesus. But things did not go exactly as they hoped. I invite you to open up your Bibles with me right now to John chapter 6, verse 25, and we'll pick up the story to see what happens at this moment. John 6, 25. In John 6, 25, it says, When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. And when they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. 
And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's perfect. It is holy. Thank you that it's not just a book we are to read, but it is your words that are to be digested and to fill us and to change us and transform us. Fathers, we look not just today, but in the weeks to come at these amazing statements that you said through the mouth of your son. We pray that it would have a transforming work in our life. Help us to understand you more, understand how to become like you more, understand how to relate to you better through what we see in here today. Now do a work in our life, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus declared himself as the bread of life. And then he went on and spent the following amount of time to unpack what he meant by the statement. It's a defining statement. It's a profound and provocative statement. It's one of seven of the I am statements that Jesus makes of himself in the book of John. And we live in a world where most everybody has some sort of opinion about Jesus for the ones who've heard his name, but it doesn't matter what other people think about Jesus. It doesn't even matter so much what you and I think about Jesus. If we really want to know who Jesus is, if we really want to have an accurate understanding of who Jesus is, we need to listen to what Jesus has to say about himself. And it's recorded here in the Gospels for us. And when Jesus says, I am, he is intentionally saying that he is equal with God, and in other words, saying, I am God. The history of the name, I am, is something we saw a couple weeks ago in Exodus 3. When God appeared to Moses, and when Moses had this conversation with God at the burning bush, he asked God, whom should I say is sending me to the Israelites to help rescue them out of Egypt? And God gave a name to him. He said, tell him that, help me out. I am is sending you. I am. This is the most common and significant and reverent name for God in Scripture. In the Hebrew, the name has been written as a replacement, a representation of only four letters. It's the consonants Y-H-W-H. And when you see that, it's been pronounced in those <laughs> attempts to pronounce it as Yahweh or Jehovah. When you see it translated in your Bible, it's in all caps, Lord. Whenever you see in all capital letters the word Lord in your Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, it's Yahweh, it's Jehovah. It's more personal, it's more intimate. That word for God is used over three times more than the word Elohim, which is the definition of God or the translation of God in Scripture. Because God doesn't want to just be known as some generic deity. Everybody's got a God. Everybody has some sort of maybe belief in a God, perhaps. But God doesn't want to just be known as God. He gets a little more personal and says, no, I am Yahweh, Jehovah. And he has a name. Like We don't want to give birth to our kids and just say, I'm just going to call him kid. You know? I mean, maybe you have, but we find a name to associate. This is a name to associate to God. And when you pray, when you talk to the Lord, try that on. Don't just say God. Every now and then you need to say Lord, Jehovah, Yahweh. It's his name. This is what we know when we hear the word I am. And understanding God's specific expressed name as I am points to his self-existence. It means to be. 
I am means to be. It's self-existence. He's eternal. It's unchanging. He's ever-present in nature. So when Jesus identifies himself through I am statements, what Jesus is saying is that the self-existing, the eternal, the unchanging, the ever-present God is right now in your midst. That's what Jesus is saying when he uses these I am statements. And here in John, we see him add a picture. He says, I am, and then he uses these expressions. He attaches a metaphor, a picture, to communicate a a way that we can interact with him and his relationship to us and more about his character and work. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. I am the resurrection and the life. And we're going to be looking at all these statements in the weeks to come and how we can unpack them and learn more about Jesus and how we can interact with him on a more personal nature through each of these metaphors. Now, back to this moment where Jesus addresses the crowd as the bread of life. And when Jesus declares himself as the bread of life, he was identifying himself as the all-sustaining one. I'm the bread of life. I'm the all-sustaining one. I'm the only sustenance for your very soul. That's what he was communicating. And in this bread of life discourse, as he tries to unpack this, we start to see really quickly there's three types of people that are revealed in the crowd around him. Three types of people. The first group of people we see in this crowd are the superficial. There's superficial people amongst the thousands that are listening to Jesus right now. Now, many people within the crowd were intrigued by Jesus. They were fascinated by his teaching and especially his miracles. But their interest was superficial. They were more interested in what Jesus could do for them than learning more about Jesus. They didn't really want to be with Jesus. They just wanted to get something from Jesus. It was a superficial motive. And there at Capernaum, he called them out on their insincerity. He called them out on their lack of loyalty. Look what happens in that verse 26. These people get out of their boats. They find Jesus in the Capernaum. They're like, Jesus, how are you doing? How's it going? And look what he says. He doesn't say, hey, what's up, boys? Verse 26, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. What's he saying? I know why you're looking for me. You're out of food. You're hungry. And now you're just looking for me because you want more from me. But you're not really interested in me. See, this is is the contrast that we'll see as we see him unpack this language. See, Jesus doesn't want to just come to give us bread. Jesus wants to come to be our bread. And these people can't make that connection right now. And so he, he tries to help them understand that they have a bigger need. He tries to sensitize them to a bigger need that they have. Look at verse 27. He says, don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. He wants them to move from a physical mindset about physical bread to a spiritual mindset about spiritual bread. And so Jesus confronts the superficial motives and tries to help them realize they have a bigger need in their life for spiritual bread. And what he's saying here is, uh, I am that bread. It's superficial to get focused on the provision and not the provider. And so their deepest need, our deepest need, is for Christ. It's not for what Christ can do for us. And this is just something we need to embrace and confront that when we start to draw close to God, we start to come into church, we start reading the Bible, we start to have an interest in God in our life, We have to be very careful that we're coming to God because we want God in our life, 
not just what God brings. It's very significant, and Jesus is hitting them head on with this. Now, it appears that the crowd moves a little bit. Look at verse, six, uh, verse 28 in chapter 6. They said to him, well, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe. Think about this. It is our human nature. It's our human default that we want to do something to get close to God. Somehow we have to earn. Somehow we have to acquire. We have to deserve or get entitled to a place to, to receive God's grace. Look, we can't earn God's grace. We can only receive it. We can't earn God's love. We can only receive it. We can't earn God's forgiveness. We only receive it. And so these guys are going, what do we need to do? What do we need to do to do the works? And Jesus, Jesus says, here's the only thing you have to do. Believe. Believe in the one that God sent. And if we're going to be transparent, if we're going to be honest, there's just something inside of us that goes, that can't be all. That's too simple. Like, we've got to do something. And God's going, you aren't even capable of doing anything. You just need to believe. We have people that we know and love, probably some people sitting here right now, this is you. You're going... I really, I'm this close to giving my life to Christ. I'm this close to following Jesus, but I just hung up on the fact that all I have to do is just believe in Christ and what he did by dying on the cross and raising from the grave. It's like, but that's all, that's all that's required is authentic, true surrender and belief. But this crowd is not getting it. They're not getting it. Look at verse 30. This is ridiculous. They said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our father ate manna in the wilderness as it's written, and he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Do you see what just took place? Where did these people just come from? The feeding of the 5,000. 15, 20,000 if you count the women and children, right? They just came from miraculous feeding. They're sitting with Jesus. He's saying, all you got to do is believe, and they're going like, well, what sign are you going to give to evidence that you like, can back up what you're saying? He's like, oh. I, 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 I buy you books, I buy you books, all you do is eat the covers. You know, you don't even read the things. He, he just did a massive miracle. But they're not getting it because they're too superficial. They're too fixed on this physical bread. Well, our fathers, our ancestors, that, you know, when they were in the Exodus, when they came out of Egypt and went to Canaan for 40 years, God provided miraculous bread. You know what they want? They want a sweet deal. They want to have Jesus as king, and they can just hang around with Jesus, and he just gives them what he wants, whatever they want. What are you going to give for us? What are you going to do for us? This is their response to that. He presses in to help them understand. He says, I am the bread of life, verse 35. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. See, they had a physical hunger, and they couldn't get past that. But here's the reality. Their perceived need wasn't their real need. Think about that. Their perceived need wasn't their real need. They had a greater need, and Jesus was trying to get them to realize that. And that's us. Some of us, we, we have this perceiving, I need this, I need this, I need this person, I need this, this thing in my life, I need to have this thing fulfill me. And it's like, no, that's your perceived need. Your real need is for the bread of life. Your real need is to be in Christ. Your real need is to believe that Jesus is the only one who can sustain your souls and provide you with what you need most. And we can't come with this superficial understanding. And it's interesting, when we start talking about Jesus, there are those who will always struggle to believe. 
Like, I just, just having a hard time. But then there are those who just refuse to believe. I will not believe. And this is the crowd we're dealing with here. They're superficial. They refuse to believe. And we see the same uh, mindset today in people who are curious about Christ. There are some people who are toe dippers. They're just like, oh, let me just check out the church. Let me just check out the Bible. Let me check out Jesus. They have some intriguing curiosity about Jesus. They kind of test drive Jesus. They're usually unchurched or de-churched people. But as you start to explore what they're looking for, they're looking for God to do something for them. They want Jesus to do something for them. They want Jesus to bring them bread. They just don't want Jesus to be their bread. And so we have to pray that they start to realize that Jesus fulfills forever. And if you're watching online right now, if you're here right now, this could be you. This could be you where you do not have a relationship with God. You do not have a, a faith in Christ. You, you, you are searching right now spiritually. And right now, our hope is that you're hearing this message that whatever you are turning to for meaning, whatever you're turning to for life, whatever you're turning to for significance and self-worth, that you would quickly realize it'll never fulfill. You're always going to be going from one thing to another, to another, to, to another. Only Jesus truly satisfies. Jesus fulfills forever. And our hope is that as you hear this, that you will abandon your pursuit of all those empty things, all those empty possessions and accomplishments, all those empty dollars or you know, items in your life or people that you need their approval of. You'll abandon all of that and wrap yourself fully around Jesus and see and experience how he provides for everything you absolutely need. Only Jesus fulfills forever. But we've got to get past the superficial. Well, as Jesus was speaking and talking, as he started talking through this bread of life concept, it triggered the attention of a second crowd, another group of people that uh, definitely got their attention and their scorn. And now we're not talking just to the, super, or the superficial people. Now we're talking to the spiritual people, Right? Spiritual people. We, we all have spiritual people in our life. I'm a religious person. I'm a spiritual person. I, I appreciate spirituality. We have a knowledge of God or a knowledge of spiritual things. It's not sufficient. And so now he starts to see this rise up here. Now I want you to realize that most of the crowd was probably Jewish. And so uh, there were likely some very educated religious Jews, perhaps even some Pharisees in the mix. And we see that they were actually having this conversation at a synagogue, right? This was taking place in Capernaum at a synagogue. Just to, just to give you a visual of, of where we're talking about, we're, as far as the map, we're at the north shore of the Sea of Galilee there in Israel. It's in Capernaum. If you were to look at an aerial shot of this range, this is kind of what it looks like. You've got a fertile crescent valley nowadays, and then there's the, the north shore. Some of our people have stood right there. We, I hope that someday you get a chance to go to Israel. It's a real place, real moment. And they've uncovered the second century synagogue there and excavated it. So, so this is a restored synagogue that's standing and placed over the foundations of the original synagogue, which is where this conversation was taking place. Some of us have sat there and, and, and looked at this moment in Scripture and other moments in Scripture in this place, this synagogue. So this was a religious group of people. They were spiritual, and they were picking up what Jesus was laying down, but it wasn't fitting into their preconceived religious thinking. It didn't fit what they already believed. It didn't fit their preference. And so they were really wrestling with it. Look at, look at with me at John 6, 41. 
Jesus really addresses them now. In John 6, 41, it says, so the Jews grumbled. Now, before this point, who is he talking to? It said the crowd, the crowd, the crowd. Now, this group rises up from within that crowd and becomes more vocal. The Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that comes down from heaven. And they said, is not this Jesus, son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I've come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets. Now he's using terminology, right? That's connecting with the religious crowd. It's written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. Now he's, he's directing some of these comments and some of this concept right at the religious because they have barriers that are keeping them from believing in Jesus. Look at the first barrier that we see. They're going, wait a time out. This guy's saying he's from heaven? We know his mom and dad. What's he talking about? We know Mary. We know Joseph. It's not possible that he's coming from heaven. They have no concept of what God has done through the miracle of the virgin birth. They're, they're rejecting this. And the sad part is they're knowledgeable as Jewish people. They know they're supposed to be waiting for the coming of a Messiah, one who would rescue. Now he's standing there. He's proclaiming to be that. And they're still going, no, we just don't like it. We don't like how it showed up. We don't like how this is going down. It doesn't fit the way we're thinking. And so they're rejecting and they're resisting what Jesus is saying. No, this is just a guy. He came down from heaven. We still see this argument today. Jesus was just a man. Jesus was just a man. He was just a prophet. He was just one of many prophets. He was just a good guy. He was just a good teacher. This this is a lot of the, the things that we hear people say about Jesus. But I want you to understand something. This whole concept of a man, this whole concept of a good teacher, look closely at what Jesus is saying. In verse 44, Jesus is saying the Father, and he's using that mysterious language now, the Trinitarian nature of God. Right? It's a mystery. It's true, but it's a mystery. One God. There's one God. But he has chosen to exist in three distinct personhoods, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And they're all equally God, but it's one God. It's just such an interesting mystery. But he's saying the Father will draw people to the Son. I mean, doesn't that sound a little egotistical to you? Like, if if you're going to have eternal life, if you're going to get close to the Lord, well, guess what he's going to do? He's going to draw you to me. He's going to draw you to me. No one comes to the Father unless he draws them to the Son. All right? So he's saying he's he's the way. Verse 44 continues. He says, Jesus says, uh, he will raise the dead on the last day. What's he saying? He's saying that he has the power to raise the dead at the resurrection. When we all are resurrected for judgment day, that's going to be the work of Jesus. He's going to pop us out of those graves for final judgment, final eternity. Like this, this, is, this is him. This is his power he's talking about. In verse 45, he gets really pointed here. He says, the prophets, which they would have been reading through their scrolls, the prophets that you read say that you'll be taught by God. You can almost hear him at that point go, <clears throat> me. That's what he's doing. The prophet said you're going to be taught by God. Hello, I'm teaching you. And this is a prophecy found in Isaiah 54, 13. And what Jesus is saying is, this prophecy is being fulfilled right here, right now. I am the bread of life. I am the one teaching you. I am the one that you should be waiting for. Verse 46, he says, I've seen God and I'm from God. I mean, that's as clear as day right here. 
And in verse 47, if you believe this, you will have eternal life. We know that eternal life means going to heaven. It means forgiveness of sins. It means right relationship with God. All of those things. When you think about the person who says, oh, Jesus was a good teacher. He was a good guy. I don't think any of us would ever slap that label onto a person who would make these kinds of claims. I want you to think for a second what would happen if you went out to lunch with a friend today and as you're sitting out across from them, they said, a couple things I need to let you know. I'm from God. I've seen God. And all the scriptures uh, are, are pointing to me as the primary teacher. And if you want to go to heaven, you have to believe in me and, you, and, and God's going to draw you to me in order for that to happen. And you're going to be going, check please. Because no good person would say that they can forgive sins, that they'll raise the dead, all those kinds of things. Only one who either is out of his mind, totally deceiving people, or is the authentic deal. And Jesus is the authentic deal. And so he's trying to provoke their understanding that what they ultimately need is right before their eyes. They don't need religion. They don't need works. They don't need rituals and laws and all those things to be forgiven. They don't need all those things to be made right with God. All they need to do is look and go, we have this hunger in our soul. God has provided the provision for that hunger, the bread of life right before me. And all I have to do is believe. And so he makes this case with them. Only Jesus fulfills forever. This is true for us, guys. We are surrounded by religious people. Some of us come out of very religious backgrounds. A lot of us know. Some of us have even been there. Maybe you're there now. You, you have Bible verses memorized. You, you've been to church 80, 90% of your life. You know the lingo. You know, you know the customs. But that doesn't mean you know Jesus. That doesn't mean that you are walking in forgiveness of God. It doesn't mean that you have taken in what God has provided. You have to get to that place. And as Jesus starts to unpack this, he starts to use some language that really triggers a reaction. Look what he says as he continues. Verse 48. He says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna. That was that daily miraculous bread that God provided, right? And they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Okay, now people are riled up. The Jews then disputed among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. You see what just took place? He's, he's, he's pushing into this whole concept of all you need is me. You have to take me in. You have to eat of my flesh. You have to drink of my blood. And they're losing their minds. They're going, whoa, who is this guy? And who does he think he is? I mean, isn't that gross sounding? You're talking about eating, eating your... There was an early rumor 
and thought process that the early Christian church was teaching cannibalism because of these types of teachings of Jesus. And so we know that he's being metaphorical here. We know that he doesn't mean literally, you know, take a bite out of his arm, you know. We're not talking about vampire diaries or anything weird popping out here. We're talking about metaphor that God's saying. And what Jesus is saying is, by eating my flesh, my flesh is going to be offered up as atonement for sin. And he's referencing his death on the cross. When Jesus talks about his flesh, he's referencing the cross that he's going to go to and the flesh that's going to be offered for the forgiveness of mankind. And to eat of that flesh is to believe. Eating is believing. And so by believing that Jesus is the atonement for sin, believing that Jesus' death on the cross is the thing that brings forgiveness, that's eating. It's eating is believing. Same with drinking. When he's talking about drinking his blood, he's talking about his blood that was going to be shed on the cross. And the need to believe that his blood was going to have the power to bring forgiveness to people. That his shedding of blood was what was going to bring healing for our souls. And so to drink of it is to believe that. To believe that the body and the blood of Jesus alone brings forgiveness. Nothing else. And so you see how religious traditions, religious people, spiritual people do weird stuff with this. These people couldn't go any further because once they heard that language, they're thinking cannibalism. They're not thinking spiritual yet. They're still thinking physical and they can't go there. We even see today certain practices that when we take the Lord's Supper, when we take communion, there's a belief that it literally turns into the blood and body of Christ. And that's not the case. This is a metaphor. This is belief. And when we take the Lord's Supper, when we take communion, it's a proclamation of the belief of what Jesus did. And so we have to be very clear that this spiritual thinking is a barrier. When we, when we depend on works, when we depend on religion, when we depend on ritual, we're not depending on Christ 100%. And if that's you today, our hope is that what you're hearing is very good news. It's not Jesus and fill in the blank. Jesus and good works. Jesus and certain prayers. Jesus and certain rituals. That's not what the Bible teaches. You won't find it. But what you do find is Jesus saying, your work, your work is to what? Belief. Your job's to believe. Believe that I'm the bread. I'm the sole sustenance that you need. Nothing else fulfills. Jesus fulfills forever. And so if that's you today, where you've been stuck in that religious thinking, our hope is that you would take the risk today to trust in Christ and only Christ. Nothing else. No one else. You have to put all your faith, all your trust in Jesus as the bread of life, the one who gave his life on the cross, had his body given, had his blood given, so that we can receive forgiveness of sins through faith and belief. It's as simple as that. And so we see that as we're working through this funnel of the types of people in this crowd, we've got those superficial people. Hey, we like what Jesus does, but we're just not one, really wanting him. Okay, we've all had friends use us for our stuff, right? <laughs> it's like, oh, let's just use Jesus for what he can do, but we really have no interest in him as a person. Then you've got this spiritual group that has this preformed view. Jesus doesn't fit their preferences. Jesus doesn't fit their traditions. They can't hear it. But then another group of people rises up. Not only is it the superficial, not only is there the spiritual, but now we see the faithful. We see the faithful. There were faithful believers in Jesus in this group, but there needed to be one last sifting to identify who they were. 
And we see that take place. Look at verse 60. After Jesus says all these things, verse 60 says, when many of his disciples, by the way, let's just stop there, disciples, these are people that are following Jesus. They've, they said they're students of Jesus. And at this point in time, this isn't like three weeks into his ministry. This is probably a couple years into his ministry. So a lot of these people have been walking with Jesus for quite a while. It says, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no avail. The words I've spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And Jesus said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. And here's one of the saddest verses in the Bible. After this, what's the next word? Say it again. After After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have, what? Believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Man, what a beautiful moment. This crowd is just getting sifted. Oh, those people are superficial. Those people, they're caught up in their religiosity. They're they're spiritual. But then there's this group of true believers that after that last shaking out where the people go, this is too hard, this is too hard, and they left then there's this group that remains that truly believes. Every time we gather on a Sunday, all over the world as the body of Christ, usually these three groups are present. You've got those people that are just being superficial, they're searching, they're checking it out. You've got people who are stuck in that spiritual religious thinking, and then you've got the faithful. But sometimes that faithful has to be sifted because some of us are one negative experience, one hard teaching, one thing not going the way we want from just defecting like this group did. And if we defect from Jesus, if we abandon Jesus, all that says is we were never truly there. We were never truly there. And then you see this remaining group, and I love what Peter says. Jesus, I mean, I just would have loved to just been sitting there to watch that exchange. Do you want to leave too? All these other people have walked away. They're turning away. Are you, are you going to turn back? Are you going to turn away too? Peter got it. The other disciples got it. They're like, where are we going to go? We, we, have, we have taken in. We've participated in the bread of life. You've brought us life. No one else out there can do that. Where are we going to go? Where are we going to go? Look, if you've ever tasted an amazing homemade hamburger with all the awesome ingredients, and someone says, hey, you want to go to McDonald's? You're like, no. Because once you have that, you'll not settle for less. And when Peter's hearing this all go down, and Jesus says, do you want to go? He's going, we have the best. Everything else is less. Nothing else fulfills. Nothing else will ever satisfy. To whom shall we go? You. You have the words of life. I hope that we're all there. I hope that we've all come to that place. 
that when we survey the landscape of what's out there, all the different religions, all the different beliefs, all the different things we chase for fulfillment, all the accomplishments and the money and the houses and all that stuff, you know, there's nothing wrong with having those things, but if you don't have Christ, you can have everything and have nothing. And you can have Jesus and have everything. But you've got to get to that place where you realize He is the sole sustenance for our soul. And he provides for the body, but he's our soul food. Nothing else will fulfill you like Jesus. If you're a believer today, I hope that you feel affirmed. I hope that you feel encouraged in that realization that, yes, sometimes there's doubts, that's okay. Sometimes there's struggles, that's okay. But you continue to hold on to your faith in Christ. You believe that he truly is the bread of life. He fulfills. He sustains because nothing else truly can. And you've got to have Christ in your life. What I want to do as we wrap up our service is I want to do something to proclaim that. I want to do something to demonstrate that. And so we're going to participate in communion today. We're going to participate in Lord's Supper. And here's what I want to do. I want to invite us to do that together. And as a believer, I'm going to ask you to really enter into this moment with a couple things on your mind. One is that as those elements are handed out, as you receive the bread and the cup, that all the language that you just saw, and, and we, can, we can camp out here even more and bring more out, but all that language that you just saw, that you'll hold and just praise God and give him glory that he truly is the bread of life. And that his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave brought you forgiveness. And when you take of that bread and you drink of that cup, you're proclaiming. As a believer, what are you doing today? You're proclaiming. You're proclaiming that Jesus is the bread of life. You're proclaiming that Jesus is the only way to be made right with God. You're proclaiming that only in Jesus Christ alone can you have forgiveness of sins. You're proclaiming that when you participate in the Lord's Supper. But I wanted to add something to this today. You're going to receive this plate with the bread and the cup, and you're going to take from it, and then you're going to pass it to the person next to you. I, I want you to think about this from now on, not just now in this moment, but from now on, whatever church you're in, if you're visiting other churches or you're in a life group or you're in this setting and you receive the plate and you pass it, let that trigger in your mind, our responsibility is to pass on the understanding that Jesus is the bread of life. We're to pass it on to our children. We're to pass it on to our grandchildren. We're to pass it on to our family. We're to pass it on to our friends. We're to pass it on to our neighbors, our coworkers. So as a believer today, I'm proclaiming who Christ is, and I'm proclaiming my responsibility to pass it on wherever I go as a missionary in this life. So let that be the special time that you have. But in a group this size, it's very likely that there's some people here today that you have never given your life to Christ. You are stuck in a superficial mode. You've been stuck in a spiritual mode, but now you realize a little bit more about who Jesus is, a little bit more about your need for him, and you're ready at this point to give your life to Christ, to surrender to Christ. If you've never done that before, I want to invite you to a special moment. And there's going to be a couple of us over here at that table by the light. And there's some of the Lord's Supper elements there. If today's the day that you feel like I am going to surrender to Christ and believe, just like Jesus said here, your work is to believe. If you're ready for that in your life, you feel like God's calling you, the Father's drawing you to that moment, I'm going to say, have the courage to stand up. 
work your way over to that table, and we'd love to meet you for a second and just have an affirmation of your understanding of what you just heard and then lead you for the very first time in the Lord's Supper as a believer, just in that moment. So if you've never invited Christ before, We'd love to help you have that moment in a very intimate and profound way. So I'm going to invite us all to stand in this moment. Let's stand. Let's prepare our hearts for this moment. Lord, thank you that you are the bread of life. Thank you that you truly provide soul sustenance. And you alone fulfill forever. Father, forgive us when we deviate from that. When we start to drift back to the world, drift back to works, drift back to distractions. They never really satisfy. They always leave us empty. They always leave us hungering for more. Just like manna. When's it coming next? When's it coming next? Lord, we know that you truly satisfy. You satisfy our souls forever. We don't need to keep coming back to you over and over and over again. Once we believe, we just grow and learn and are transformed. I'm so grateful for the opportunity. So, Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ that this would be a moment that they get to celebrate who they are in you. They get to celebrate that they've believed in you as the bread of life. And, Lord, that they would proclaim you through this act of worship. And, Lord, that passing that plate would trigger the responsibility, the reminder that we are to pass on the good news of Jesus to everyone you bring into our life. And, Lord, I pray for courage for those people who are unbelievers at this point, but maybe on the verge of becoming a believer. Lord, give them the courage. Reveal their hunger, their need, their actual need for you right now. And give them the boldness to come and profess that in this moment. We ask this in Jesus' name. We all sit together.